Hello and welcome to the Go Fish Village podcast, where we teach everyday folks just like you how to achieve financial freedom through real estate. I'm your host of the Go Fish Village podcast, Joshua Mercer. As the Chinese proverb states, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Teach him how to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. Our next guest, she's been, she's been helping teaching people fish for the past 16 years investor, instructor, broker, manager, project manager. I mean, we got, I mean, she, she just does it all. She recently just dropped a new book uh, for teens, author of the real estate book, Teens, entitled Who Got the Keys? Building Generational Wealth Through Real Estate. She's also an adjunct professor at Chicago State University, none other than Professor Donna Rogers. Did I get that right? You got that right, sir. How are you this evening? Good, good. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. So tell me about the book and uh, why you dropped it. Most people make books for adults. You made yours for teens. Absolutely, which is a need. So I began to look within the Black community in regards to wealth and notice the rate of home ownership amongst the black community is the lowest amongst any other race, right? And home ownership is directly tied to creating wealth. The more equity you have in your home, meaning the more that you pay down, the loan amount that you have on your mortgage, the more equity you build, thus the more um, the increase of network that you have, right? So if wealth is created through home ownership, partially, there's other ways, yet the rate of Black home ownership is the lowest amongst any other race, then that means we have the lowest rate of wealth as well. That's a problem. And so I know for me, Josh, I was exposed to real estate at a very young age. It was my first job. I helped out my first boss, who was my father, John P. Rogers. And so I had to paint apartments and get them ready with my other seven siblings. And so what that did- was seven of y'all? It's seven of us. It's, we ate deep, right? Oh, it's wow. Some houses. I was flipping houses quick then. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But we were helping my dad get him ready for his tenants. Wow. So what that did, you know, just like your family and entrepreneurship and insurance and real estate, it exposed me to what my everyday peer within the Black community is not exposed to. And so I was able to start investing straight out of college at 22. I thought that was the norm until I looked around to my peers and some older than me and said, that was not the norm. That was the exception. But if you look at other communities, it is the norm. And so this book is about making it the norm for our young black teens to be exposed and empowered through real estate so they could be tomorrow's homeowners investors. So we can increase their rate of black wealth and home ownership. Who got the keys? <laughs> so, Okay, so this book is for teens. So by the end of this book, a teen should what? Know what? What are they going to know? The fundamentals of real estate. They're mm -hmm. going to know the different career path in real estate. The thing I love about real estate the most is I have six streams of income through real estate. All real six. estate. Six. Whether it's investing, whether it's teaching, whether it's my sales, whether it's the other agents that operate under me, there's six different streams of income that I operate within this one field. When I went to career day in high school, you know, you learn about the teachers, you learn about the lawyers, you learn about the doctors, which are excellent fields. I never recall 
a real estate agent coming to those career days, right? And so this book is career day. This mm-hmm. book is to expose <laughs> teens about the profession as a real estate agent, how to buy real estate, how to sell real estate, whether you're doing home, uh, wholesaling, whether you're doing flipping, how to find real estate, the ABCs of real estate that the average adult, especially within the Black community, is not aware of is what this book will teach our young people. That's dope. So why, why is it that, why is home ownership for Black people so low? I'm astonished to see things like that as well i mean you know we've been you know obviously you know there's a history behind our situation in america but i wouldn't i wouldn't expect us to be at the lowest on that i was surprised by that as well but there are financial barriers that are still in place Mm -hmm. um even some of the lower paying jobs that tend to be uh taken by black people Um, When we think of redlining in itself, where there was a time where you had governmental officials that identified certain areas based on certain certain color codes, and the bottom of that color code was red, where the Black or Brown community reside in. And during that time, when we were going through um, uh, economic depression, you know, there were barriers that were put in place for Black people to either not be homeowners or not be able to refinance, or not be able to live in certain communities, or not be able to have equal access to certain resources that are needed to create wealth. And so according to statistics, it's going to take almost 200 years for us to catch up with our counterparts. Mm, So because of those barriers that were put in place, we're behind. And we will continue to be behind unless we do things and implement things in place to help our young people speed this process up. Or well, unless you get that book, who got the keys? <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I, and you, you, you teach the real estate class and I recently got my real estate license. I was surprised to see that it was so many discrimination questions. I'm like, and I'm like, I hope nobody's getting these questions wrong. You know what I mean? Like right. when you talk about the blockbusting, the steering and the redlining and how that's affected, you know, home ownership and how mortgage companies wouldn't lend and maybe insurance companies wouldn't insure. Exactly. I mean, that's that's, you know, then you I look at it like compound interest, you know, like exactly. the effects of that are crazy. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about you and how you um and your real estate journey. I mean, I know I, I've seen I've seen you on Facebook with a hammer. I seen you on the on Facebook writing books. I seen you on Facebook at the closing table. I don't even know where to start. Uh, you know, you you mentor other brokers. You know, uh, so I mean, you teaching the class. You know, yeah. so what I like about that is that um, you get you got six strands of income, kind of like in the same field. Sometimes people like are all over the place. You know, they doing this and that and the third, but you you manage to really you know, kind of become an expert in uh, real estate. So what about real estate are you most passionate about? I would say the educational piece about it. And so instead of calling myself an expert, I like to really say that I'm a student of the industry. Mm -hmm. Even though I'm always teaching, I'm always open to learning because, you know, as a businessman, the trends change, uh, what works change, especially with technology. And so you always have to be in a position to constantly learn. So the first thing I love outside of education, uh, educating others is being educated, right? Education empowers you. 
I always tell my clients when they come to me, I need you to sign up for one of these classes. Why? It's not enough for me to just tell you what to do. It's like, go fish. Let me teach you how to do it for yourself. Let me mm -hmm. teach you how to analyze these properties for yourself. I think education is very empowering and it doesn't necessarily have to be a degree, but just to be informed um, is very, very empowering. And so I love most to empower others through educating them in addition to being educated myself. That's what I would say that I am the most passionate about when it comes to this real estate industry. That's, that's, that's dope because that, that benefits our community the most. So with me, like with Goldfish, my whole thought is, you know, when I when I purchased my first property, my mom, she was like, because uh, I was going to get a condo, you know, everybody was moving to the South Loop and to, the, right. to Bronzeville. So I was like, hey, I got to do the same thing. And she was like, no, nah, you, you can't get a uh, don't get a condo because you ain't you, you're not making enough money. So this I was a teacher. So she was like, you need to get a building. And I was surprised to see that condos downtown or near downtown are like the same price as like multi-unit buildings on the south side of Chicago. So I, I basically I bought a building, lived in the basement for 10 years, living there for free, you know, saving a bunch of money, never had no issues. So now my whole thing is if you're going, unless you're making like, you know, a crazy amount of money from your nine to five, like if you're making maybe 200 or more, if you're a first time home buyer, you need to get that FHA loan, get you a three or four unit building. What do you think about that? I completely agree about that. Uh, shout out to your mom, businesswoman, <laughs> um, generational wealth, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, and we've been blessed with that, right? That's not the norm in our community, but I completely agree. I was doing house hacking uh, where you purchase your first property as a multi. Oh, really? Yes, that was okay. my first property that I purchased at 22. Wow. Um, it took me like a year. It took a whole year. I was so discouraged. I started looking around 21 to finally find that property. Now I'm born and raised on the south side of Chicago, straight from Inglewood, right? And so this first property was in Roseland and Roseland is not considered an ideal, uh, mm -hmm. ideal community, right? In Chicago, but it was where I was led to get my first income property. And so it was sweet for me. In fact, that you know, I had a tenant that covered the mortgage and I had access to all my money from my nine to five jobs. So even from a tax write-off standpoint, it still was profitable uh, for me to make some other moves because I had this tenant that was covering this mortgage. So I didn't know what I was doing. I just know that what I seen my father do, which was be in charge and run and manage a building, I just knew that one day I wanted to do the same. So I didn't understand all the details of the financial aspect or the management aspect. I just knew I wanted to be in that position. But I completely agree. If you're a first time home buyer, you're trying to get into real estate investing, try out house hacking, which is just buying a multi-unit. You stand on one of the properties, you allow your tenants to cover your mortgage. And if it's more than one unit, hopefully you're able to get a profit from the tenants in the building that you actually stay in. So yes, I agree with that, definitely. Yeah, I tell people, period. Even if you don't want to be an investor, you 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 definitely want to at least eliminate your biggest bill because you never know what could happen with exactly. with with jobs and whatnot. Um, so your your first spot was it a two flat? It was a two flat in the Roseland community. Yeah. Roseland, and so 
I know you and your family, y'all been active in Inglewood. Um yes. how many how many units do you guys have now? Or we at your are, at your peak, I should say. How, did, how many did you have? At our peak, we had about 42 properties throughout the Chicago land area. Whoa. Uh we sold- how do you get to 42 properties and, and you and you're not even 25 yet? How do you do that? <laughs> if you if you're passionate about real estate, but let me say this: some of that I had to own with family. When you say family, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so of course, there's a portion that hey, it's just Donna, and then the power of collaboration will collaborate with my family. And for a moment of transparency, let me tell you why um, I had to collaborate with the family because even though that was my first two flat. Um, and I had access to all this money, right? I was spending like crazy. And I'm not even like a name brand girl. I just would be like, hey, everybody, let's go out. Let's chill. So nobody really taught me the money management part of it, right? Um, And then I had a tenant who I had for years. And long story short, then I had a non-for-profit. I used that same building for a non-for-profit. Oh, I remember that. Was that Donna's Donna's house? Yes, House of Prima Donna's. Yes, that was for homeless young girls. So it's always been something with real estate, right? Mm -hmm. But the tenant moved out. The tenant moved out and I didn't have savings. I did Mm -hmm. not prepare, right? And so let's just say that money dried up because the job I had was a contract job. That contract was up, the tenant moved out. And then I was using a part of the unit for homeless youth. So when the money dried up after months, I like lost everything, like everything. Cause I had moved to a house at that point while I still had the building. I lost everything. So I had to start all over again. And that's when I was able to be blessed with opportunities to reinvest individually, but also understand the power of collaboration, thankfully, with my family to get to that point. So let me put that disclaimer in there for some people who feel like your credit jacked up, you know, hardship, especially going through a pandemic, been that done it, you can still get back up again, try again, and even be better the second time around. So I got to put that out there um, just so people can know uh, that I can relate to your story as well, opposed to me being exposed at an early age. Well, that was probably when you really learned, though. You know what I mean? That was really, that was a, however much money you lost, that was a, let's say 50 grand, that was a $50,000 lesson. You know what I'm saying? Which uh, you'll probably <laughs> never forget, you know? Because anytime I hear people talk about only successes, I'm like, okay, you you've never done anything. You know what I mean? When people can incorporate failure into their success, that's when I know the story is uh is real. What absolutely what? that was look, that was a six-figure loss. <laughs> Put another zero on that. I mean, everything, every property, cars, like I lost everything. I had to start all over from scratch. But like you said, is, that was my greatest learning lesson. Is there a way that, that could have been prevented, or was that surely just bad money management? Was it something that happened in the market or was that are you saying that was your fault uh half and half i would say because i didn't really save up for a rainy day right um that sounds like a storm right there that sounds exactly (laughs) right hell rain (laughs) so i didn't save up so when she left you know it was like everything is over and that tenant had been with me for almost 10 years however um, I remember, you know, we were hit going towards a recession. I lost like $90,000 value. My property went mm. dropped $90,000 in value. 
than what it was. So even when we trying to work with the banks, it was like, hey, I'm, this property not worth what I owe on it. So I was upside down. Yeah. So trying to work situations like that, the house that I'm in, you know, I just had to walk away and let it go. Really? Um, I just had to walk away and let, yep, I walked Damn. away. How but was that said, doing that? That probably was, oh, I that's your baby. It. You know what I'm saying? I went through it. <laughs> But look, from a businesswoman standpoint, I still negotiated. And even though I had to do a deed and loop, real talk, but I walked away with a $10,000 check too. Oh, really? So I still was able to work that out when oh, I let wow. them go. That's dope. No, I, I had some friends, they were upside down on their places and they just, they stayed there. They just stopped paying and they saved up because the, everybody was walking away. The banks were so behind. They was able to pocket like 70 grand before the short sale you know, even happened. Okay. And I bought my building in 07 for like 320. Two years later, it was worth 150. Mm. But it was still cash flowing. So I kept making the payments. You know, I don't even think it's worth 320 today, to be honest. But uh that's that's interesting. Um so you mentioned that you work with family to kind of scale the business. Um, what's like some of the pros and cons with that? Because me and my mom, we we be at our throat, we be at <laughs> We be at each other all day. I don't know if we could even get past, you know, even I remember my mom, she helped me get my first building. And it was like, she would like, if the grass wasn't cut, it was like, yo, <laughs> chill. The property manager. <laughs> yeah, like she ain't even lived there. Like the place was fine. But she was, I remember the initial part, she was just like, she was OC. And uh, what is that like, uh, you know, or what tips do you have for people that, uh want to do partnerships whether it's with close friends or family because money can come you know it can create uh issues for people and that's you know when we start these things we had this grand vision oh we're gonna come together the family gonna do x y and z then somebody slip up on a responsibility here right. and there and that's right. we point fingers you know what i mean right. I think it's important to have open communication about what the expectations <laughs> and boundaries are. And so, you know, real talk, I love my dad, but dad is like mom, mm -hmm. you know, where to be like, did you do this? Did you do that? Um, I got my first building on my own, but he did come. He surprised me at the closing table. He was like, hey, here's some money to help you with. But I, I would say I would call him more than he volunteered to come, right? I'm a female. I'm in Roseland. You know, I needed help. But um, as far as with family, I would say clear expectations and boundaries, know who plays what part. But also I wouldn't necessarily collaborate with anyone just because we family or friends. Just like you're a stranger, you have to show some attributes and characteristics that let me know, one, you're reliable, uh, two, I can trust you, and you have to bring some attributes that are complementary to my areas of weakness. Mm -hmm. So I don't need a bunch of me's. You know what I mean? I need somebody where you bring something different so we can synergize um, on this collaboration, even with family and friends. So I do have a rule. I do not rent out to friends or family. So really? I will have Dang, I just I just rent out no. one of my units to my niece, my cousin. I don't. I don't <laughs> rent out to friends or family. Um, I will help you. I will probably even give you the money before I rent out to you. I just yeah, don't yeah. do it. I stay away from it. I don't want to bother you about where my money at. And then, you know, and then it's funny and it's tension. So that is a rule of mine. I do not rent out to family and friends. And I think that's because I watched my dad growing up, rent out to a lot of family and friends. And so that was a rule coming in the door. Like, I'll pay your rent for a month before I rent out to you. Yeah. Like, 
seriously. But boundaries and expectations, and sometimes the lines do get a little blurry. So, you know, family, get a little leeway. Um, but you got to bring it. You got to show me something that I can't do to myself. Like, why do I need you? Why do you need me? <coughs> um, so it, it just has to work beyond being financially profitable. It still has to be profitable in some other aspect. For an example, my time. Maybe some of my time uh, can be alleviated from taking taking day-to-day responsibilities because you are good at X, Y, and Z. You know what I mean? So maybe you're better at the property management or calling the tenants or assigning the workers. Okay, so that gives me more time to spend over here to bring more clientele in. So you got to bring something um, that improves the overall goal and our mission of the company, whether you family or friends. So I just lucked up on that. I know money. I know how to count money. I know how to do finance reports, but I hate it. It's not my thing. Accounting is not my thing. So most of the family members that I connect with, that's their strong point. They love counting money, analyzing money, analyzing reports in and out. My mm-hmm. brother loves data. He's very data-driven. That's not my forte. And so we collaborate when we appreciate each other's strengths and when we recognize our weaknesses to pass that on to somebody else, you got to know when to fall back and stay in your lane. Yeah. Part, partnerships are, are, are tough. Uh, when, when you don't have uh, when there's a bunch of gray area, you know, um, what about when you guys started the partnership, did, was the exit strategy, was that like something that was discussed up front or was it just like, we're going to amass 42 units and we're going to keep going. To be honest with you, some of that was already acquired before I came on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, but somewhere along the line, uh, you know, some members was like, hey, my season is up with doing this. And it was a perfect time for me because I was ready to do more in real estate. And mm-hmm. so I was able to take it to the next level um, with that. So I, I have to be honest with that. I didn't start off with the team. I started off doing my own separate thing. And then I got to a point where, you know, I'm coming out of devastation of losing everything. And so I don't have a choice. My credit jacked up, right? I'm just getting my money back together. And so I had to be able to collaborate because I couldn't put nothing in my name. But that was a blessing in disguise because now I was in a position to be a part of something that was bigger than I ever imagined doing by myself. So it's like, it's going back to what you said, you know, your losses are your greatest lessons learned so you can do it bigger and better the next time around so i was able to bring that experience that i already had from managing my own thing for years to the table to say hey this is down apart so when it comes to the family company i'm the chief operating officer i hire everybody i manage everybody all of that i take care of every aspect of it and Mm -hmm. i bring in the different pieces and different people for us to operate efficiently so it ha- everything in every season of what you do in real estate has its part. Like you could be in an industry that has nothing to do with real estate and find some skill sets when you get in real estate that can be the very thing that gives you a niche or a competitive advantage over your competition. Interesting. So as a woman, I mean, you're a woman and then you looking at Inglewood and Roseland a lot of people, and, and, and we could just say Inglewood and Roseland as these are areas that, you know, stereotypically, you know, 
when when you hear about Chicago, oh Inglewood, you know that's that's the right. hood, or even people from Chicago, right? Will, uh, will say that, but when I talk to like seasoned real estate investors or people that they want cash flow, they love areas like an Inglewood or a Roseland or I mean really any black community. Um, what do you what do you say to like somebody like a woman that might be watching this who's afraid to go to an Inglewood or a, a Roseland? I mean. Of course, you got to be smart anywhere you go. But what, what, what are some things that you would say about people who like, no, I can't go there? Uh, you know, once as a believer, faith over fear. But you know, it is. I've had hard times in Rosen. Like I had a property that was broken into three times. No joke, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it happens. But I've had properties in other areas that were not Inglewood and Rosen that have been broken into as well, right? You, you need to collaborate with team members that may be from that community and be more familiar. So even though if I'm the owner, hey, if John grew up down the street, you know, John, know a little buff, you know, could be a security guy. Hey, maybe he's the person who takes care of rent or serve eviction letters or something like that. So it's always a part. It's always a matter of your team. Build up a team of people who may not be as afraid and more comfortable in the areas that you're a little leery of. But for me, as someone who is born and raised in Inglewood and who live in Roseland, I just feel like it's my responsibility to help revitalize those distressed areas. And I can't do that if I'm afraid and at an arm's distance saying, "No, I'm not going to go that route." Hey, you buy low and sell high. Those are the perfect opportunities to buy properties low and sell them high or increase the value of the properties in that particular community because it's in Inglewood or Roseland. If you don't do it, if we don't do it, somebody else will. Mm. And then you're going to miss out on the opportunity to do so. Josh, real quick, I sat in this investors meeting about two years ago. I would never forget this. And I would say probably 5% of the individuals were there, you know, were brown skin, black or brown. And I remember the gentleman, he was over it and he said, hey, you guys, it's this gym. Uh, it's like a diamond in the rough. And it's this area called Chatham. <laughs> I was like, okay. To me, it's like, what do you mean? I, I know Chatham. Um, and he said, those are perfect areas over there by Gresham and Chatham. If you go over there, those are the perfect areas to invest in and start flipping. And the people were like, oh my gosh, we, I'm way Northwest. And I'm just in the back chuckling like, Chatham, Gresham, that's like home to me, right? Right. Um, but what did they do? They started coming in that community, investing in those properties. Next minute you know, you see properties selling for $190,000, thousand dollars When years before it was like $130,000, 90000 You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So if we don't do it, those of us that are from those communities, somebody else will. And Inglewood would not be the Inglewood that you once knew it to be because you were too afraid to get out there and take that chance of investing in that community. Yeah, I feel like uh, a lot of these developers that aren't black folks, they, you know, or not them, I I would say, man, bank appraisal, like those appraisals, you know, um, like undervaluing our neighborhoods, so it's almost like when you flip in the house, you got to have a relationship with the appraising entity to make sure that it comes out right. You know, because I like it. I just go back to how I, li- I lived in Chatham for 10 years. My building, 
three units. Each unit is three bedroom, two bath on a double lot, a driveway, <laughs> like everything that you will want in, in a house. I'm charging my tenants $1,200 a piece. They cover my mortgage. And I'm, you know, I'm asking my friends like, yo, why would y'all not want to live here? Like why I got friends paying $2,400 a month rent downtown. Now granted, yeah, they got a doorman workout room, but they paying for parking. You know, they eating expensive meals. Like I got 1500 square feet in my unit alone. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, it's almost like, uh, it's just so many factors, not just, external with appraisers and banks maybe not wanting to touch these communities until other folks come in but even those of us who do have the means you know we rather put our money in other communities which is uh which i don't understand i feel like i do understand especially amongst our peers we're in the same around the same age group you and i come from a background where we were exposed at an early age we were taught business and entrepreneurship that's not the everyday person within our community to understand the importance of uh to even understand what network is let alone how to build it up right mm-hmm. exposure makes a world of difference it you know you develop an ownership mindset off top so you may reprioritize things uh differently than someone else and so it's like you can't fault people for what they've been exposed to or how they've been developed. But, hey, my job is to help educate you and share the information that I share in hopes that you make better decisions that will bring you investments. Hey, if you want to live downtown, cool, but invest somewhere else that can pay that rent, pay that mortgage and put some money in your pocket to pay for that downtown unit. You know, don't just go there first. And so, but I think it has to do with what you've been exposed to, yeah. which again goes back to why I'm writing this book. Because if you look at other races, a black person, it's only 10% of us that will purchase real estate before the age of 35. You look at other races, it's 35%, 20 something percent. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because they are exposed at an early age. And so by the time most of us are exposed, what happens? Your credit may be jacked up. You got all this debt that you accumulate. You get what I'm saying? And so we already set ourselves back even more when we were already set back just because of the color of our skin. And so I just think, again, it just goes back to exposure to me so you can get a head start, so you can develop that mindset to come out the gate saying, I'm about to start investing. No, that's that's, that's real. So when, when with your 42 properties and because, you know, you were it was a group effort. Did you guys incorporate or do do you recommend buying these like in a individual name or in a, no, it was a business name. Um, and what happened is, you know how people go get a loan for a business, like Mm -hmm. that's not real estate, but that's what the, it was a business plan that was written up and there was one big loan that it just happened to be for a real estate company. So it wasn't like a regular, you know, loan or mortgage loans for these properties is a big business loan and the business just happened to be a real estate investment business. If that and so sense. you so you guys were basically able to have a loan and in that plan, you basically were you able to like just offer cash for the spots that you were buying? Some of it in some instance. Okay. Um, I had to learn 
the benefit of debt. You know, people be like, debt is bad, you know, pay off your debt. And you you know, you do want to be debt free. But if I could use somebody else's money to pay down this debt and put cash in my pocket, oh, you better believe I'm going to get a loan. I had to learn, look at that differently if you know what you're doing. So if there were times that cash needed to be paid, let's say if it's a, it was at an auction or something like that, yes. But ultimately the goal is to go get a loan. I'm going to keep my cash in my pocket, let the tenants or whoever about the baddest property pay off that mortgage. I'm not paying off that mortgage. I'm making money off that mortgage, if that makes sense. So you, it's always, so in your opinion, it's always better to, uh, when you can, to, to use a loan. I do for the most part, yes. If paying cash will help me get a lower price, then I'm going to go to cash, right? The okay. cash route, right? But if it's not going to make a significant difference, no, I'm going to go get a loan. I'm going to go get a loan. I'm going to let those tenants pay that mortgage off. I'm going to go use that equity to go get another loan to go buy another piece of property. So how do how do the auctions work when you, when you buy a property at an auction? It varies. It could be in person or it could be online. But let me just give a disclaimer if you're buying property on an auction. Just know sometimes you are competing with a computer and not a person. So be true to your number, meaning they'll say someone else bid it this amount higher. That may not be a person. It may be a computer. What you mean? So, so let's say you're in a bid and they let you know if someone bid it higher than you. And that may not be true. There are systems in place, computerized systems in place to bid higher, to make it seem like an actual person has bid it higher, but it's actually like a robot. It's not a person. It's to get you to increase your price, your price point. Wow. You know what I'm saying? I didn't so know I, that. There's some auctions, not all, online auctions. Is, so that, I would, is that legal? Yeah, I, I guess so. But what I would say is be true to your price. Stick mm -hmm. to your price, no matter how much you want that property. Uh, be sure to stick to their, your price. All auctions are different. You always have to read the stipulations of whoever the company is doing the auction to let you know if you have to put money down, uh, to let you know what the minimum amount of money is that you have to pay. When does it start? Whether or not you get access to the property, not all properties you get access to. Some investors don't have to look at the property. I have to see what I'm investing in. That's a rule for me. You got to go um, inside of it. I have to see it. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I want the least amount of surprises as possible. But the main thing with auctions is because it can vary depending on who is facilitating it, read the rules and regulations up front. And most auctions, they do want some cash. So you may go get a hard money loan or something like that or have a line of credit. That's fine. There may be a few that may take uh, certain type of loans, but you need to have some cash ready. But again, you can purchase that property via cash and go take out a loan for the equity. So there's different ways that it can work out, but read the rules and regulations for the auction. Know the time frame which it starts, um, when it ends, when the money is due, um, if your money is refundable. Sometimes they give you a grace period to do that inspection like a regular sale. So just make sure you know the rules when it comes to auction. Stay true to your price because it may be a robot. Oh, well, I didn't know that. <laughs> so they, they say you make your money when you buy, not when you sell it. Is that true? No, not at all. You, you can make it either way, in my opinion. I'll tell you why. So... 
uh, we're selling off like a lot of properties in our portfolio, right? For various um, reasons. But so I looked at all the prices of the properties. We have properties that was like, ah, oh, that's only 80,000 to sell. Ah, oh, this one is just 125. No exaggeration. We selling stuff at 225. We selling stuff like 50, 100 thousand dollars more than what it was worth before this pandemic like no joke wow. no joke Now these are properties that we didn't go out and buy these were properties that we already had we had tenants in it so we were making money through the years and now that we're getting rid of some of the inventory the values on a lot of these properties are way higher than what they were in 2019 when we made the decision of which properties we were going to get rid of so i think depending on the property uh, you know whether or not it's more beneficial for you to sell it versus buy it. Okay, so when when um how do you know when it's time to sell a property? Because and the reason I asked that, so I I was on Instagram and I saw this shirt like a meme. It was like don't sell grandmama's house, you know, basically saying <laughs> like you know keep it in the family, pass it down, create the legacy. But then I had another guest on my show and he was just like, yo. Don't hold on to that property, you know, sell it after five or six years, take that cash out, get a bigger one. Like keep repeating that process, you know, don't because eventually that property is going to need maintenance, a new roof, new mechanicals, and it's going to wipe out all of the profit that you earn. Um, when do you think it's the, the right time to sell something? I think it varies. I'm, I'm kind of in between those two theories. Um, I do think that there should be a property or certain properties that you just try to keep in the property, keep in the family for generational wealth sake, right? Um, if you're trying to pass something on and teach others how to manage property and the different things uh, that it takes to maintain the property. But at the end of the day, as an investor, my goal is if the market, if it is a seller's market, if it's a seller's market and these properties, if you're getting offers on them, hey, within 30 days or less, if it's a seller's market, then I'm going to consider selling that property in that market, right? Mm -hmm. So you always want to pay attention to the market to determine if it's a good time to buy and sell. That five-year market is good, you know, because the industry is going to shift. Now, it's also when we think about the recession, renting was popular, Everybody was flying to rent or staying in the property that, that they were in. People were too afraid to purchase property at that time, right? So it depends on the market and then it, and then it depends on your long-term goal and it depends on your personal goals. So the market, uh, your long-term goals, and then it depends on your person. What's going on in your personal life? hey, you might have little ones, you may be traveling to another country, you know what I mean? So depends on what season you are in your life. But to me, the number one indicator is the market. Pay attention to what's going on in the market because you don't know when it's going to be a seller's and a buyer's market. So if it flips and it's a seller's market, to me, that's the perfect time to make a decision of whether or not you want to get rid of that property. The money got to make sense. It's all about the money. Yeah, I'm a, I think I'm going to unload something. Um, so previously you mentioned, uh, like the team, you know, like when, when you're partnering with folks, but even when you're doing stuff as an individual, you still need a team, uh, of people that you have to work with. Can you 
like if you had to think of like off bat, like who are the important people or important trades or professions that, that you think are like necessary when you're looking at a, a real estate deal or even when you were, when, when you've acquired real estate? My contractor, a general contractor, a, a licensed contractor. <laughs> <laughs> Let me say that. Um, of course, you're going to need a maintenance guy that's not necessarily licensed, but he kind of takes care of the minor repairs. But I need a general contractor. I need someone that knows that numbers. They know the different aspects of a property, how they should properly function and operate, how much it costs to fix anything, if anything needs to be fixed, uh, different materials, just someone who is very skilled as a contractor. Now I have GCs, but I also have relationships with my own plumbers my own electricians, my own HVAC, that's for heating, uh, ventilation, air conditioning, cooling, for those who may not know. Um, so I have relationships with at least three contractors that specialize in those different fields, in addition to general contractors themselves. Why? Because at a point that a general contractor want to fall back, they're not reliable, or you know whatever happens, I don't have to rely on their team and still get the job done. It should never stop or be predicated upon one person. Okay, let me call up this plumber. I know myself to get that job done. And so contractors are very uh, crucial to a property once you acquire it, whether it needs a rehab or just some minor updates. You need people around you um, that's handy with their hands um, to know how to get that property up to its best uh, condition. Uh, also an attorney. You need to know rules and regulations. You know, people come in like, I'm going to put that person out. It's not going to happen like that, especially in the city of Chicago, right? Where they're pro-tenant. So you need to have an attorney on hand and not just any kind of attorney. You know, you can have a divorce, a divorce lawyer in your family, but that's not a real estate attorney. You need someone that knows real estate law. So if there's a situation or circumstance that you're not clear about, that's somebody you can pick up the phone and easily bounce that, um, that situation off of. I remember I tried to evict my first tenant. I hated that process. Um, but my pops was like, no, you, you're going to do it on your own. Uh, but that was the last. I have an attorney that will go evict tenants. I don't step in the courtroom for that anymore, right? But I'm thankful to be in a position to do that. So, But you want to have an attorney around you. You want to have an accountant around you. You're a businessman, a businesswoman. So you need to have somebody to help you um, with your taxes, know the benefits of it, uh, writing stuff off, tracking, all the things like that. So from an administrative standpoint, you need that accountant in. Uh, you need that attorney from a legal standpoint. And even just from a hands-on standpoint with the property itself, you need a general contractor or contractors to help you keep that property uh, up to its best condition. So I would, for me, I would say that those are your main team players. Of course, you have others that do other things, but those are my must-haves. Okay, that's good to know. Are there any, like, uh, formulas that you, like, tried and true, like, when you, and, and I'm talking about for, like, uh, buy and hold, like, is there, like, a minimum per door that you got to make a certain cap rate that you got to hit, uh, do you, are you one of those folks? Uh, for me, my cap rate has to be a minimum of 8%. Okay. It has to be a minimum of 8% uh, for cap rate. 
Now, I may go lower if it's in like an amazing area that I know that is up and coming and some new development is coming. I may compromise on that number and go a little lower than that. Um, as far as dollar amount, it has to be a minimum of $500, a minimum profit of $500 off that property, but that's based off how many units. If it's just a two unit, because I'm not living in a two unit anymore, it has to be a minimum of $500. And I mean $500 after everything is paid. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying $500 after the mortgage is paid. I'm talking about the upkeep and maintenance of the property, um, different things like that. At minimum, I have to pocket $500 um, off that property for me to feel like, hey, I would invest in it. But again, if it's in an area where I know it's up and coming and I'm able to buy low, I will compromise for that moment because I see the bigger picture, the long-term goal to get where I want to be. That's smart. Yeah, people, a lot of times they just look at that mortgage, the rent and the and uh, the taxes and they forget about all the little utilities that they go into it, you know, that adds up, whether it's the water, the heat, electric, and all of that. Do you do you separate the heat in your if you buy multi units or do you uh you think that's something that uh you just keep all in one? I'm glad you asked that question. I was just about to answer. So we on the same accord. I do not buy properties where I have to pay your heat. <laughs> <laughs> You're not doing it. I am not paying that heating bill. I'm sorry. Um if I have to pay your heat and no. It has to be separate. It has to. So here's the other So thing, you only right? pay in the water. That's it. That's <laughs> it. But, you know, with some places with the basement and the common areas, you may have a small, you know, electric bill. Yeah. No, I do not pay utilities. And I do not supply appliances, Josh, unless it's a condo downtown or in an area where there is common. So I am, I prioritize peace of mind over money, right? That's just how I am. I want minimum headache as much as possible. So unless the property is in an area where it's common for the refrigerator and the stove and the dishwasher and the micro, all those things, you know, because we've had condos downtown, right? We got rid of three of them last year. No, the year before last. Um, so all of those had appliances because it's common to supply those appliances, right? Mm -hmm. um, but generally speaking, I do not. I wow. do not. I am the minimum headache. Now your apartment will be in a condition that it would be in if I was living there myself. Right. Mm. But I minimize my responsibilities as much as possible. Like no joke. So in your experience, I mean, what, in, in terms of buy and hold, yeah, I guess it's two questions in terms of buy and hold and appreciation, which what's the better, best investment? Con, is it condos? Houses, multi-units, which ones are better for rental, you think? And then which ones are better for uh, appreciation? Um, I would say for me, it would be houses when I'm thinking about appreciation or even if I'm thinking about flipping for me, right? Mm -hmm. um, but when it comes to buying holes, it's, it's multi-units for me. I need more than one tenant. Here's even my logic. I can never base my mortgage off of one person paying it. So if you, if I have a house in which we do have, but again, there were properties that were acquired before I joined the team. Um, if that one person stops paying, I got to cover everything. So 
So for me, when it comes to buy and hold, unless it's in an amazing area and location and it really makes sense financially, generally for buying holds, I'm looking at multi-units, generally speaking. Okay. What? Are, and so as we wind down, in terms of strategy, so I know generational wealth is a, a thing for you. If If somebody wants to know, well, I would say in your opinion, what's the best strategy to create generational wealth through real estate? Education. I got to go back to that, right? I got to go back to this book. Who got the keys? Education and exposure is the best strategy. We overlook that because, and it's all the, it's all about go fish. That is the best strategy. It doesn't, my, my parents didn't give me anything, right? As far as tangible, I never heard if anything as far as tangible, but they gave me so much more with the exposure and the education and saying, go get your own property. That is so impactful and lasting more than anything that they could have put in my hand because I was able to take it and multiply it. Right. And so for me, in order to create generational wealth, hey, and it look, it's eight of us anyway. That's a lot of kids to split it amongst. Right. So, mm -hmm. but the thing is, if I educate you, you can do better than what you see me do. And so the best strategy to maintain generational wealth is exposure and education. You have to educate your young person. And even if, hey, they're a young adult at this stage and you missed the mark with education, you have to expose and educate them about the process, what it took to prepare, what it took to get it, and what it takes to maintain it and then install in them the importance of multiplying that and passing that key on to the next generation. Wow, bars, bars from Professor Rogers. So how do we how do we get a copy of that book? Because I went on Amazon, it was sold out. Barnes & Noble, sold <laughs> out. Went to the church bookstore, sold out. So funny. <laughs> how do we get a copy of this yeah. book? Yeah, so we're still in pre-ordering stage. We're going to release it Black History Month, so it will be released towards the end of February, but you can copy your signed copy now. Mm. Um, at the website, the book is called Who Got the Keys? The website is called Who Got the Keys? And we have some goodies. We got a workbook that's coming out. I got some free eBooks for those that purchased the book before it's actually released. We got some affirmations about generational wealth. We got a book that's all about teens and money. Mm. And so there's some freebies that actually comes with the book that you can get right away before the actual release of the book. Um, so I'm very excited about that. So please cop this book. So we just gave you some keys. I'm commissioning you to grab those keys and pass them on to the next generation by copying this book and it'll allow you to do so because it's a generational thing. And did you get that? Um, I got the keys, was that from Jay-Z and uh, Khaled? You know what? I, I'm of course I'm not old, but I kid you not. I didn't even know about that song until after oh, I killed. Come on, stop it. <laughs> no, I'm so serious. I have a. Uh, have you heard it though? I I heard it and I love it. Hey, don't oh. give me quote. Don't give me quote what Jay Z said. They always asking me for the key, but till you own your own, you can't be free till you right. own your own. Yeah. That was all. That was the only verse I needed to hear. Exactly, but I didn't know that verse until after. Oh, he's too nice. Like, so I was yeah. like, oh my God. I had a completely different title for my book. I ran this by my niece. I had a book mentor. And he was like, hey, you need to change that title. And I ran it by my 14-year-old niece, you know, to get her feedback. And right. so she helped me uh, come up with this actual title, Who Got the Keys? So 
Real talk. That's how it came out. But shout out to Jay Z. That's my favorite rapper. So representing. <laughs> of course, of course, of course. So uh, I mean, last question. Um, I know your answer gonna be education. <laughs> I mean, why why do you think that? Uh, what I like about real estate is, it's so many people. It's so many. It's barriers to entry, but a lot of those barriers are built so that you won't fail, you know, because you got the bank, you get, they look at the appraisal, they want to see the rent roll, you know, uh, home inspector, you got the insurance company involved. I mean, why do you think people fail in this business? Well, for education, I'm going <laughs> to say fear. I'm going to say fear of getting out of their comfort zone. And I say that personally, because again, I was exposed, but I was fearful of like financial literacy, right? You know, a lot of business people, when you think about financial reports and stuff like that, it's such a scary and unpopular topic, but it's one of the most important topics, right? So just fear of the unknown, like people get complacent. Oh, I got the property or, you know, I desire to get the property, but I just don't know what to do. And I'm just fearful of reaching out. I'm fearful of rejection. You know what I mean? I'm fearful of not being enough um, or that this is enough. And so I think fear stops us because you even have to have a level of courage to go and educate yourself and take that initiative. So I really think it boils down first to fear before um, taking the initiative to educate yourself. So I, I definitely would say fear. Professor Donna Rogers. So how do people get in touch with you if they want to well, we know how to get the autograph copy, but somebody want to join the team. Somebody want to hit you up for advice, uh, follow you. How, how do we do that? Absolutely. I would love to hear from you all. Check out my website, uh, my brokerage, which is called R, R for Rogers, because it's a generational thing. RlegacyRealty.com. Uh, again, R, the letter R, LegacyRealty.com. All of my contact information is on there. My team is on there. Um, I'll be doing more up, updating classes on regard, in regards to licensing. So if you want to be an agent, I do teach those classes as well. I'm a licensed pre-licensing instructor. I teach continual education classes to those who already have a license. Uh, check me out on my social media page, Instagram, Realtor. Donna JR, that's Realtor Donna JR. You will hear a lot of updates, uh, upcoming events. I do free generational wealth and real estate investing classes every single month. My goal is to educate 500 people minimum in 2021 for free on real estate investing. For free, wow, my class is my class. I'm charging for mine. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> It's not going to be as long as yours, so I'm sure it's more detail, right? But you're going to yeah. get so many keys in that two hours, I promise, right? For yeah. 500 people um, through this class. And that's because the same individuals that's going to purchase this book for their young people, I need to make sure that they're empowered first. So that's 100%. really the goal of that. But check us out on rlegacy.com. Check me out on Instagram on Realtor Donna JR. Uh, but also... Every time you purchase this book, or every 50th book, I should say, a portion of the proceeds are going to scholarships to Black teens that are 18 to 19. 
Look, you couldn't be a real estate agent when I was 18 or 19 years old. You couldn't be a real estate agent at the age of 18 three years ago. That's a new rule. So college is not for everyone, but even if it is, you could be a real estate agent while you're in college. And so we're giving away scholarships in honor of my dad uh, to eight individuals per year in honor of the eight uh, kids that he has. So when you purchase this book, you're not just making a difference in the lives of the young people that you have in your household, but also you're helping to make a difference in the lives of Black individuals to increase the number of real estate agents and professionals in the field. Mm. that's my story i'm sticking to it mm. go ahead don i see you well thanks for coming on the show you've been great for more episodes like this visit us at www.gofishvillage.com where we help individuals just like you achieve financial freedom through real estate 